Friends, before I bring a message, a Father's Day theme message for you, I have, uh, we love on Father's Day, Mother's Day, Easter, Christmas. We love to have a little video vignette. I always enjoy those. They're uh, sometimes a blessing, sometimes they're touching, and sometimes uh, the skit guys, I think are just the most wonderful uh, Christian multimedia outfit, they put out many videos that are both funny and touching, and I think this one falls in that category, but I have kind of a weird sense of humor. Uh, this is kind of based on a, a, like a, a fight club idea, a secret club that comes together, meeting in a garage, but instead of fighting with their knuckles, they they see who's the better dad, who tells the worst dad jokes, who has the most proverbial father sayings. That just sets the stage. And have you ever wondered when we dads get a coffee mug that says world's best father? Is that true? Or is somebody better than us? Well, these guys seek to find out. I just wanted to set the stage. Let's enjoy this video before we hear from God's word. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Welcome to another dad battle. Now, is anybody, and I mean anybody at all, willing to face our champion? Gentlemen, my son joined the golf team at school, so I bought him an extra pair of socks in case he gets a hole in one. Hole in one. His dad jokes are so effortless. See that? That's why he's the champ. That's nothing. The other day, my daughter said a good Christian dad would buy her a car. So I said, well, a good Christian kid would walk. Because that's what Jesus did. Fathers! Listen up, son. Just because God picked your nose doesn't mean you should. <laughs> when you start paying the bills, you can make some of the rules. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Hold up. Who touched the thermostat? Yeah. That lawn isn't going to mow itself. Let me stop what I'm doing and fix your boredom. Hi, hungry. I'm dad. I love the smell of Home Depot in the morning. Oh, yeah. 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 Just wait till your mother gets home. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Pull my finger. Nah. Just rub some dirt on it.
I'm pr proud of you. You can do hard things. I love you. No matter what. When God made you, he made something very special. The proudest day of my life is the day you made me a father. I thank God for you every time I get on my knees and pray. Who gives this woman? No. No, you look at me. You look at me. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Her mother and I. There we go. Yeah, that was sweet. It reminded me of uh, last week as uh, Marlon brings Jillian down the aisle, you know. I never had <clears throat> a daughter, so I got to ask those questions performing the ceremonies, and uh, but never had to go through that, that tight throat, lump in your throat moment, who gives this woman to be married to this man. Uh, I'm thankful I didn't have to go through that. Friends... We talk about fathers today, and as I mentioned earlier during prayer time, uh, fatherhood uh, not only is it uh, is it it's tough in our society today. Fatherhood is not respected; it's being uh, torn down and rebuilt and redefined. Uh, it is uh, it's difficult. We see people struggling in that role in parenting in general. It's a difficult time, especially in our Western society. We're facing uh, incredible difficult issues. And so I think the simple touchstones of God's word reminding us who and what moms and dads are to be in God's uh, perfect design and in his economy for the family are important to, to be reminded of. A passage that we don't often turn to, and uh, you think we would come across it more often because they're the very, very last verses of the Old Testament. It's easy to find. The last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. Malachi is a Hebrew name. A friend of mine, he came to faith as an adult, and so he hadn't grown up in Sunday school and heard all these strange names like Jehoshaphat and Mehar Shalal Hashbaz and Mephibosheth. And when he came to Malachi, I think he thought he was an Italian prophet. He called him Malachi. And he's <laughs> so in Malachi chapter 4, when you come to the end of those last verses, it's interesting because the book of Malachi is a book about judgment. God's people are so off track that God is being forced as a loving heavenly father, but a holy God to bring judgment upon the land. And the final chapter is a terrifying chapter because Malachi shows them what judgment looks like. It's the great and terrible day of the Lord. But even that chapter of judgment ends with a message of hope 
that God will send Elijah, the great prophet, to turn people back to God. And part of that, a key to that, we're told, is to turn fathers' hearts toward home and their children toward their fathers. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. The Lord says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. You see the importance of that essential family relationship. In fact, we see that the family, husband and wife and children, is foundational to society, especially a society that seeks to honor God. We wonder why our society is so far off track. Well, look no further than the foundations have gaping cracks in them as marriage splits up or is disregarded is not important, that essential uh, selflessness, that commitment is cast aside for a convenient, uh, pleasure-oriented approach to life. And where does parenting and children come in? Well, sometimes they're almost an afterthought. At best, they're a struggle for many single moms and dads who are trying to go alone makes it that much more difficult. The New Testament says that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. And part of his ministry was this very thing, to call fathers to turn their hearts to their children and children to heed the instruction and lives of their fathers. Every study I come across that seeks to ask whether or not fatherhood is old-fashioned, passe, outdated, whether or not they want the answer to turn out one way, it always turns out that fathers are not disposable. Disposable dads. I ask, is that a question? I went, I could cherry pick and go to focus on the family or institute of the family and find statistic after statistic that just shows beyond a shadow of a doubt, every study shows the importance of the role of the father in positive outcomes for their children. But I went to the most liberal progressive website. It's a, it's a couples, it's a, I've, I've used it before. They have some good material on, on couples therapy, but they preface these studies by saying, well, we think fatherhood is kind of heteronormative and binary and outdated. And these statistics are going to make us red in the face years from now. They're trying to disregard what their own studies find. And this is on the most liberal of study sites. Nearly 40% more likely are children with a dad engaged and involved in their lives. They're 40% more likely to earn mostly A's in school. With dads involved, they're 45% less likely to repeat a grade. They're 60% less likely to be expelled or suspended from class. If dad is in their lives, they're 80% less likely to spend time in jail. 75% less likely to have a teen birth. And that's both boys and girls if dad is in the home. We've known for years that our prisons are filled with offenders who had no father figure at home. They were raised by gangs or other people who led them astray. 
Dad is not only not disposable as every situation comedy and everything in the media would try to teach you, but as Scripture teaches us, Dad is indispensable. Indispensable. Godly parents are God's design for raising up healthy kids. They are. And for the next few minutes, I want to speak on this by using a, a different framework. I call it the five shuns. I could have called it six or seven, beginning with pay attention. Get where I'm going? Those father jokes, I thought they were brilliant. You know, earlier, you notice his new era shoes and his tube socks? He carried them off really well. I was tracking with those guys. The five shuns, they all kind of rhyme. Pay attention to the five shuns of fatherhood. The first is, fathers provide provision. Provision. They're providers. They're given that responsibility. And I know in the West, we live in a much more uh, egalitarian society. Oftentimes, uh, with women in the workforce, mom could make a far better living than dad, so the roles, they are altered, and fathers do much more in the home. That's a positive trend, I think. Fathers, uh, I think because of this, are doing uh, about four times more uh, household uh, work than they did in the past. And they're involved more in the children's lives. That is, if the father's even in the home. We don't have to look very far to know that every segment in North America, Canada and the U.S., ethnic or otherwise, or socioeconomic, that is struggling with crime and brokenness, those ethnic groups have no fathers in the home. They're absent. And that is, in such a big way, a root of many of their problems. Part of what dads do, and it used to be dads figured this was all their job, was provision as a primary responsibility. And it is an important responsibility, but we know it doesn't end there. First Timothy chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, uh, in some corrective advice to the church structure, how to take care of widows and, and orphans and other people in the church, how to care in our charitable ways, he makes the point that some people who were taken time off waiting for Jesus' return and not taking care of their families, he has strong words for them. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's powerful. That stings. But Paul is reminding us that that is a primary responsibility. Men and women especially those of us married, we understand this, we were made differently, physically, emotionally. We're of spiritual value equal in God's eyes, but He made us in a complementary manner. And one of those things is that the men were given primary responsibility, kind of the heavy lifting in family provision. So provision is one of the shuns we need to pay attention to. Provision. Well, didn't really. It's more like a shun than a shun, but you get where I'm going with that. But dads, that's not the end of the story. For too many of us, we get wrapped up in our works 
And we're told that men in society, if you ask a man who he is in North America, most of us will tell you what we do for a living, what our job is. If I ask you, who are you? I'm a farmer. Who are you? I'm a mechanic. Who are you? And we'll tell you what job we work, what we use to provide for ourselves and our families. Scripture says the focus should rather be, who are you? I'm a child of God. Who are you? I'm the husband of one wife. Who are you? I'm the father of these children that God has gifted to my wife and I, and I put them first. Who are you? Work is to be a means to the end, and the end is caring for our families. It's not to be the end itself. It plays such an important role And Scripture honors the place of work, but don't make it an idol. Don't make it an idol. As a pastor, I spend a lot of time with people in end-of-life care, and that's where regrets come in, that we put work ahead of family. Time-wise, hours in the day, we know that's going to be the case. It just takes more time, but we need to invest our lives and times wisely in the care of those that God has given us as family. That's the first shun. Father's provision. The second is a father's instruction. Dads, it's not on mom's shoulders. You've been given responsibility to raise up and guide and teach your children. Not just to know the way around a toolbox or how to fish, but instruction in how to be a man of faith, how to live a life pleasing to God. Ephesians chapter 6 makes that crystal clear as the Apostle Paul correcting and growing his church family says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Don't frustrate them. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I ask myself, what would we fathers do that would frustrate our children? Unrealistic demands? Always criticizing? Always demanding that they meet a standard that we're not willing to meet ourselves? Hypocrisy? Kids have very fine-tuned ability to detect that at an early age. If we're asking something of them that we're not willing to do ourselves, there are so many ways that we can exasperate our children, but we want to bring them up to know the Lord and to love the Lord. A passage that we often don't think of in regards to parenting is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul likening himself to a spiritual father as he writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. And then Paul describes that model, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Do you get that? We always think of the He who spareth the rod spoileth the child. You know, that type of heavy-handed disciplinary approach to parenting. And we'll see there is a place for that. 
discipline rather, but comforting, encouraging, urging, which is urging them to make wise choices. To make a choice, you have to give them the freedom to make a choice. Knowing how to mold, gently mold the souls of little boys and girls in our care. That's what God wants. That's what the Apostle Paul did for those in his care. He was like a spiritual father for them. I ask the question, when we approach our children, are we more like a critic or a coach? Are we a coach or a critic? I find kids' hockey games and baseball games very instructive. I'll see the coaches on the bench or on the field clapping and cheering on the kids because they're the ones that teach them and encourage them to do things and play the game the right way. And oftentimes you'll see the parents in the stands caught up in it. Well, we all know when somebody says, oh man, those hockey parents, they're not saying something nice. They're using that that uh, characterization, the extremely critical hockey parent that has nothing but correction. They never say anything about anything good on the ice. They just complain about the bad, the misplay, the bad call by the ref. They're always angry, always criticizing. How do we approach parenting? Are we more like a coach? Urging, encouraging, cheerleading them on, helping them to know that they can accomplish it because we've helped them to learn how to do that and we believe in them? Or do we simply criticize? That brings about that exasperated child that Scripture warns us against. A father's provision and a father's instruction. Well, the best way, I think, to add to our instruction is a father's illustration. That is, you are an example. Oh, I love this picture. That little boy, he's following dad. He's mowing the lawn too. Isn't that great? I love to see kids do that. I love to see them copy mom and dad, whether they're in the kitchen with their hands in the flour, not making cookies as much as making a mess, or they have their little mower trying to be like dad. Oh, they love to imitate. They love to learn visually through mom and dad's actions. And the fact is, they don't just look at the work we do, they look at the lives we live. They hear the language we use and they imitate it. I believe children's brains, I've never seen scientific evidence, but I've seen it with my own eyes. Their brains connected to their ears and their mouths, they can hear an enormous conversation, a thousand words, but if there's one profanity, they'll hear it instantly memorize it and use it repeatedly. It's incredible how they do that. We have to be careful. It always breaks my heart to see parents have such little regard for their children that they use vulgar and profane, disgusting language in front of their children or even directed toward their children. That's a terrible thing. We all know it. But most people today, they just laugh about it. What illustration do we set? always breaks my heart that local uh, small town, I think small town living is the best thing in the world. But certain small towns 
you know, let's have Safegrad or the Cabaret. Let's teach the kids underage drinking. Then they learn to drink and get drunk and plastered in a safe setting so they can be like mom and dad, you know? I say, what are we really illustrating? What choices, healthy choices, do you want these kids to make? I'm not going to get too political. Don't, don't want to get kicked out of town. But you know what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul says something that's powerful. He's encouraging the church to see the illustration of his own life. Boy, that takes courage. Paul says to them, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I love that. Follow me as I follow Jesus. We can't be the perfect example that our kids need. But as we follow the Lord as we parent as God desires us to be moms and dads, we can be those examples. Parenthood in general and fatherhood especially is important because of the nature of God. My first New Testament Bible teacher in Bible school was Dr. Sidney Page. Dr. Sidney H.T. Page. Sidney Harry Thomas Page. I love that man. He lost his wife, uh, Faith Page, recently. We mourned her sudden home going and uh, pray for Dr. Page as he continues to be a blessing to those around him. We love to learn from him because he had learned from the eminent, world-famous New Testament scholar, F.F. Bruce. Dr. Page had gone to England for his education under F.F. Bruce. And so we kind of had Dr. Bruce as our teacher secondhand through Dr. Page. Something F.F. Bruce said about fatherhood. He says it of all places in the New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology, his definition of fatherhood. He says this, God is the archetypal, arch, archetypal father. Easy for me to say. God is the archetypal father. That means God is the type and we are all copies of that original. He's the original. God is the archetypal father. All other fatherhood is more or less imperfect copy of his perfect fatherhood. So dads, moms, we look at how to care for children as seeing how God cares for us as well. His provision, his instruction, through Jesus, we have the illustration of a life lived to please our Heavenly Father. Sometimes, as it says, we don't make the best choices, so we need a Father's correction. That's the fourth shun, correction. And I think in some ways, that's the most difficult one. You ask any parent, what's their least favorite part of parenting? Disciplining children. When children are going off track, having the wisdom to know how to discipline them in a way that is healthy and grows the child and corrects their behavior and keeps them on the right path. Correction. The book of Proverbs is full of passages that speak of the importance of a parent's correction. And only a foolish person rejects correction. Now, I just picked, I just cherry-picked a few. These are almost limitless in the book of Proverbs. Look at a few of these passages. Uh, Proverbs on repeat. Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction 
is stupid. I like that. To the point. <laughs> I was wondering earlier, have you ever in life, you're going along and some days, you know, things don't go well for you. I have a lot of days like that. And in the back of my mind, there's a little question. Am I stupid? <laughs> you know, if you've ever wondered, here's a test. Do you hate correction? Do you hate discipline? Do you refuse to learn from your mistakes? You're stupid on the basis of scripture. Okay. Proverbs 13, 18. He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. That's powerful. Proverbs 15, 32. He who ignores discipline despises himself. This is destructive behavior, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. Do you see how important that role of parenting in correction is? How can kids heed correction if we as parents are unwilling to offer it? Let school do it. If you let school do it, eventually you're going to be letting the justice system and the police do it. It needs to start at home. Get kids on the right path early. That's the, that's the Proverbs uh, 22.6 model. Train up a child in the way they should go. I could have put in direction because you're modeling the direction for their lives. Of course, the passage for that is, that is, that is the cornerstone passage is found in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. It's the passage in which the author of Hebrews tells us the importance of understanding that God allows things to come into our lives even painful things that can correct us and bring us closer to God. Treat those things as God's loving correction and discipline. Heed them. Learn from them. Don't be dumb, as Proverbs would say. And it likens it to the fact your heavenly Father is just like your earthly Father in this regard. Your earthly Father corrects you because He resembles your heavenly Father. It says, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our father disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. We're not talking about just corporal punishment or something like that. We're talking about correction, discipline. Correction is one of those guardrails in a child's life. On one side, you have the encouragement, the urging to godliness, keeping them on track and positive reinforcement. On the other hand, correction when they go off track, bringing them back on. It's not easy. It's not easy for you or the child. The Bible says it's painful when we're going through it, but it is so, so necessary. And finally, what would these shuns be without the fifth one? A father's affection. Dad's love. That skit guy's skit went from funny and corny to very sentimental, very poignant, very quickly when dads had to share from their hearts and not just their heads. Give from their hearts, not just with their hands. But a father's affection is so important. 
A child's sense of security is based largely on knowing they're loved by their father. We used statistics that talked about societal outcomes for children. But the truth is that the spiritual life of children, for all of the amazing examples of godly mothers in their lives and praying grandmas, that the role of the father in the spiritual future and choices of a child far outweighs any other relationship. I've seen it again and again. A child has a believing mom, brings them to church, to Sunday school, to VBS, on and on, while dad stays home and watches football. Not a bad guy, but he's making other choices in life. He's letting mom, he's not hindering her. He's not making her keep the kids at home. You do what you want to do. I'll spend my day this way. As soon as those children are able to choose, who do you think they follow generally? Not every time. Generally, they follow dad. They follow dad. Now dads, that should either terrify you or encourage you. I know it strikes fear into me, but it's true. Your love says that they are secure. That they are loved and cared for by their daddy the biggest, strongest man that they know. And when they're loved by you, they can overcome fear. They can venture out and do amazing things in life. You play such an important role. We want to encourage you in that today. One of the verses that we had during the worship time is found in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I love what it says in the New International How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Remember God, our archetype, our example. He lavishes His love on His children. In the parable of the prodigal son, our Father God is the Father who stayed at home. His eyes set on the horizon for that prodigal to come home, never giving up, never losing the love no matter what we did. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The world, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him, our loving Heavenly Father. I believe love ties all of these together. I believe that your love for God, your spouse, and your children is the framework that everything else needs to fall into. That love is selfless. It's godly. It puts others before ourselves. But in giving yourself away in love, you find the most amazingly joyful life. You have a full heart and a full life when you live this way. That framework is mentioned in regards to the church family, but it's so true for our home families as well. Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. 
Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That's the unity that we seek. That's the framework for life. Love of our Heavenly Father reflected and flowing through dads and moms into the lives of their children. The framework of love. Before the worship team leads us in our final song, let's close our time together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. A day where even the world briefly Lord, they understand the importance of dads. Lord, we make many jokes at their expense and many people uh, denigrate the role of Christian parents. But Father, you've designed it to be such a blessing to this world, foundational in its importance. Lord, we know it's not easy for dads and moms to parent in the world we live in today in a post-Christian age. Lord, it's a challenge. But Lord, by your Spirit, guided by your Word, I believe we can rise to that challenge. Lord, help us to commit ourselves fresh and new to follow You and to lead our children as parents. And Lord, for some of us, we have the joy of being grandparents or great-grandparents. Lord, help us to use that role of wisdom, of loving coach and encourager to its fullest. Bless us, Lord, as fathers, that we may be a blessing to others. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.